the good news is uh, not only for food, this is also being used for other medical purposes, you know, like treating chronic diseases and, you know, uh, just um, train the bacteriophage in such a way that it goes and target to that cell, right, killing cancer cells like that. So these are all emerging techniques out outside of food in food industry as well. So um, we are lucky to have in this field using this uh, technique uh, for the consumer safety. Um, you know, um, uh, from uh, from here and now on. So um, combining these techniques with other uh, technology also makes a bigger, you know, uh, greater you know deal um, and making people safe and you know, before they consume one of these products. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Ivonic. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts, MS Gold the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Ciros Porkrell from Cow Poly. How are you today? Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Will, and I'm fortunate to be here with you. Well, we're glad to have you on today. Um, Ciro, some of our uh, listeners may not be familiar with you. And so before we start talking about the topic, why don't we have you just do a brief introduction of yourself? So I am Ciro Spokrell. And uh, talking about my uh, background, uh, I started with uh, veterinary science um, as my undergraduate degree. So I used to know uh, uh, check on small animals. At uh, that time, it was uh, 2005, 6, 7, around that time. But later, I decided to pursue a master's uh, here in the U.S. So I came in the U.S. in 2009, early 2009, and started my uh, career in mid-science, um, doing my master's. Uh, it was at Nebraska-Lincoln at that time, so I spent two years of uh, my uh, life there. And then I started working um, at Tyson Food as a uh, food quality, food safety um, in that department down in Texas. Uh, so that kind of, you know, uh, uh, gave me an idea of uh, what the food safety is uh, working in this area now. So I can realize, you know, looking back, you know, uh, you know, uh, so 2011, 2012, 13, the outbreak that had happened at that time and the FISMA regulation and everything came up at that time, right? Okay. I thought like, okay, this is the right time to jump into a food safety field. And I decided to pursue my PhD in food safety, food microbiology. And that was with Dr. Mindy Brashears at Texas Tech um, from 2013, 14, 15, and 16. I graduated from there. And later on, I decided to um, go to Penn State for my postdoc, uh, postdoctoral research for a year and a half. Uh, and then I joined Cal Poly. Uh, now this is my position as assistant professor. August, uh, it's uh, almost five years. Um, so being here for this amount of time already, you know, working, teaching, and doing research in food safety and microbiology. Well, that's a fascinating story, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, food safety is something that maybe here in the United States many of us take for granted, um, and yet there's so many things we should be thinking about on a daily basis. 
and especially even from the swine side, we we again we think about raising the pig, but we sometimes forget it doesn't stop uh, once we send that pig to market. And you're doing some really fascinating work, and I, I think it's something that we should um, talk to you about today. And that's it's really around the use of bacteriophages and and food safety and um, so maybe I think what we'll do is start with just that. What is a bacteriophage? That's something that maybe some of our listeners may not be very familiar with. Yes, uh, why not? Uh, so bacteriophage is not a good uh, or like a new technique, um, by the way. So it was uh, used early 1900s and so on and so forth. But uh, like, you know, at the time it stopped um, for some time. But later on, we are starting like, you know, carrying this research again. Uh, so bacteriophages are the virus. Um, so what they do is uh, it, they eat bacteria. So the name bacteriophage comes from bacteria as a bacteria itself, and phage is eating behavior of the virus. So they just get inside the bacteria, use their metabolome, uh, metabolism, energy, and everything, whatever they need to grow and multiply inside the bacteria, brush their cell out and kill them and survive. So that's what it is. But we can find the bacteriophage everywhere uh, in our surrounding, in the environment. Um, luckily, because uh, you know, uh, the we are, I'm working in pork, uh, meat, uh, or you know, chicken. Uh, if we go and find out their environment, to look into their environment and try to isolate some bacteriophage, we find more. You know, we find many of those in the niche area, niche uh, environment. And also in sewers, you know, uh, we find uh, bacteriophage in sewers in, in millions and billions of particles. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's very interesting. So here's a virus that can infect a bacterium. The bacterium replicates that virus, and then the virus is released as that bacterium cell is destroyed, essentially. Um, which can sound a little bit scary, maybe, to some folks about turning a virus loose, right? But it's very targeted. Is that correct? Well, uh, thank you for pointing uh, pointing that out, and that's a very good question. Uh, because of this COVID pandemic that we are going through, right? It's kind of scary to talk about virus one more time. But you're right; uh, they are targeted. And also, if we look into USDA and FDA um, uh, websites, they have recognized these as safe um, um, for food products. So we can use them, and they do not harm human cells or human microbiome. But they are targeted for specific pathogens, like, uh, for example, let's say uh, salmonella in meat or E. coli 0157 in beef products. Okay. So are we currently using bacteriophages in food production today? Yes, we are. And um, there are uh, several of them, you know, recognized as a safe uh, for the food products environment and uh, several industry there are using it, and some of them are, you know, uh, in the research phase, you know, uh, establishing some of their own, uh, uh, you know, virus uh, phases um, to act against, you know, the the outbreak-causing organisms like pathogenic types. And it depends on a lot of research, you know, and it also depends on the environment where your establishment or the industry is, because uh, that also decides what type of pathogen, you know, in that environment. So, uh, also, on top of that is the type of food product that we are working on. So chicken is different than pig and then the beef carcasses, right? So um, those all matters. But yes, there are some already um, using those. Okay. So when you talk about these bacteriophages and food, how are you applying them to the food? 
So uh, just talking about my research as as a role, because I um, try to you know uh, uh, mimic the industry practice in my lab. Uh, for example, you know I I get talking about uh, pork pork loins, of course, and then uh, for example, if the industry would like to do marination on those pork loins uh, with a different uh, uh, chemicals or a seed, you know, um, uh, I also apply those in my in my lab. And on top of that, um, I, you know, uh, put already prepared bacteriophage solution uh, at certain concentration just to see, you know, how much is needed to control the, you know, the growth of microorganisms that I also supplied on the pork products. So I have the combination of uh, the bad bugs like the bacteria that we're talking about here and the good bugs that I also prepare in the lab and bacteria fuzz. So we use uh, both of them on top of the pork products and look at the you know, counts later on if they had already eliminated certain levels of uh, bacteria or not. And so it depends on the, the process the industry does for their products. And so we can mimic any of those type of Processing processes in our lab and uh, look into the uh, strategies. See, so you actually brought up an interesting point. You said that you put both good bacteria on the meat, and then we're putting the bacteriophages on to kill the bad bacteria. And so that might be something that some of our listeners may not be familiar with. You had mentioned a marinade and, and putting it over the loin. So, what kind of bacterium are we talking about that might go on the product? So uh, for this specific research, uh, we used um, salmonella, a different strain of salmonella. Salmonella is a bad bug that uh, causes, you know, you know, uh, gastroenteritis, um, uh, fever, diarrhea, vomiting, like uh, food poisoning symptoms. Uh, so uh, what we can do in our BSL two is biological safety level two lab is we can actually go there and um, culture those uh, pathogenic bacteria that is actually can make people sick mm-hmm. and uh, use that in a secure way on those uh, food products. For example, I can, you know, purchase a loin or, you know, get it from our meat processing center, um, the, uh, the actual loin that customer buy, and I can actually take that in my lab and I can, you know, uh, prepare the inoculum of that bacteria in certain concentration that we can measure at the end. Uh, so uh, in that process, I also marinate those, you know, pork uh, loins um, for certain hours, let's say two hours, right? And what we do is, you know, uh, during the marination process, uh, I uh, put the inoculum on top or sometime I have to, you know, uh, put the pork loin inside the broth, the liquid of bacterial solution. So when we take it out, you know, it all captures all the bacteria on the surface. Mm-hmm. And later on is the treatment application. The treatment application that we are talking about here is bacteriophage application on top of already contaminated pork products. And you keep there, you know, for one hour or two hours, let's say, how long you want to do that process in your industry. So after a certain time, and you would check throughout the time frame how much, uh, you know, uh, the concentration of bacteria is being reduced by the by the application of bacteriophage in my case, and we measure all those you know uh, concentration throughout the time period and check the growth of bacteria. Now that's really intriguing. So one of the questions I have then is, 
can we just use the bacteriophages on the surface of a meat product or can we inject it? I mean, I know we're talking about a pork loin is generally the surface that we're worried about, but think about ground beef or ground pork. Do we mix it? it what what options do we have there, I guess? So, a uh, very good question. You know, um, so the two types of meat I would like to say. One is, you know, uh, uh, not intact, like uh, the ground products and uh, macerated products. Uh, and often, uh, you know, uh, those uh, vacuum tumbled uh, or marinated injected products, those are not intact products or non-intact products. The, on the other side, we have intact products which are not harmed or have done any of those things that I mentioned before. So in that case, it's supposed to be the internal core of the meat should be sterile with any contaminants. The only the surface. So in that case, we can only apply for the surface. But as you have asked, the ground meat products or, you know, uh, vacuum tumbled or, you know, uh, pulverized or uh, macerated, uh, or needle injected anything um, that can what it does actually is uh, during that process the surface bacteria if there are any can slowly migrate inside the core. So in that case we may need to we may need to you know uh, inject the bacteriophage or spray on top and again tumble go through the same process as it goes with the you know uh, regular meat and we can you know distribute it uh, throughout these products. Um, make sure, you know, it's actually getting all tissues and surface areas immediate. How long would I have to expose a piece of meat to the bacteriophages for them to work? In my uh, research, I have found out, like, you know, within one hour, that is enough time uh, to get um, at least um, 1.5 to almost 2 log reduction. Uh, when I'm talking about Two logs is ninety percent, ninety-nine percent reduction of bacteria from the surface. So, and I'm saying one log reduction that is a ninety percent reduction. So, uh, to get more than ninety-nine percent reduction, I think more than one hour uh, uh, should be there. Um, and uh, since we'll be using special special type of bacteriophage that is lytic bacteriophage, uh, what it does is you know it goes through the sort cycle inside the bacteria. And kill it immediately. So in the in this case, we have seen very short amount of exposure time uh, on the mid surface. Within one hour, it's against getting the actual kill on on bacteria. Okay. And then, what temperature would we have to keep that at? Right. So some bacteria do better at warmer temperatures, and and obviously we we put meat in cold temperature to try to stop the growth, and and so. If we're putting a virus in and we want the virus to use the bacteria machinery, do we want the temperature to be warmer so the bacteria is metabolizing and working, or do we? Is it okay to be in the cooler temperatures? I would suggest uh, keeping that in the cooler temperature. And since I'm I'm saying like I'm mimicking what the industry does, right? So everything that I'm doing here should um, mimic the same process that the industry follows. Um, so marination in cold environment, um, not keeping it outside of the room temperature where it gives more opportunity for the opportunistic pathogen or other bacteria to grow on the surfaces of food products. So I uh, you know uh, always working in the cold environment in that case would be um, the best practice, uh, not only for uh, the kill, but also not to stop, uh, not to grow the, uh, the harmful pathogens 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. So in your research, then, as you've been talking, you've, you've been using pork loins and you've been using bacteriophages. What are some of the common organisms that you're targeting for pork specifically? Um, so the um, common organisms uh, that we, how we find that out is, of course, you know, looking at uh, different outbreaks that have happened in the past uh, related to pork and pork products. So I have seen, you know, um, several salmonella on different strains of salmonella um, that has caused uh, several outbreaks in the past um, in the U.S. and also in the Canada. And so we collect those data and, you know, try to use those organisms specific, you know, that has caused the outbreaks. Uh, if we are lucky, we'll find the same strain that caused the outbreak in the past and use that as a case study. But if not, then we, you know, use a closely related in all those salmonella strain types. And in my case, I have used all three different strains of salmonella and make a cocktail solution on that bacteria and apply on top of the um, new products. Uh, so it depends on um, the the actual outbreak causing organisms. Uh, if I'm talking about um, chicken, that would be a different story because uh, there are different bugs uh, for chicken or the beef products and the same. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think about is just the, the environment when you're processing food and the equipment and the concerns of listeria and some of the other foodborne pathogens. Is there thought or discussion around spraying bacteriophages into the facility periodically to try to reduce those counts? Uh, absolutely. That's a very good question. Uh, for the Listeria, we always have found, you know, uh, for the products, uh, for example, ready-to-eat products, um, those are most often um, being contaminated with Listeria monocytosinase, uh, one specific um, species of Listeria monocytosinase. Uh, causing, uh, you know, uh, thing is they, uh, they form a very good biofilm on, for example, stainless steel that we use um, to slice the product after cooking, after going through the lithium process or lithium estate, right? So um, that may cross-contaminate the products. So yes, there are some research and also there are some bacteriophiles out in the, in the market uh, already, you know, uh, selling as a listeria control um, bacteriophage. So, you know, uh, I haven't done myself that research, but it's very good moving forward, you know, just to see on the stainless steel and also several other food contact surfaces like, you know, the, the board, cutting boards, for example, right, in the kitchen. Um, so that can be used, yes, of course. Yeah, That's no. very interesting. Meaning it is. So I'm going to go back a step, though. You were talking about um, your work with salmonella and finding different strains of salmonella to put into your cocktail before you put that onto your pork loin. Is there a limitation with the bacteriophages where they can only work with certain strains of a specific organism, or are they more general? I guess I always thought bacteriophages were a little bit more general, but maybe the way you talk, they're maybe a little bit more specific than I thought. They uh, act uh, very uh, to like very specific uh, bacteria, um, uh, so it's better, of course, because so we can target like a specific type of pathogen. For example, the pathogen is Listeria monocytogenes or Salmonella in this case, right? So uh, there are specific bacteriophages they target Salmonella only, so they do not work for like uh, they do not control E. coli, uh, for sure. So. Um, because uh, their you know uh, mechanism of action or 
the thing what we have found uh, is uh, they were they, they means that the bacteriophages were isolated from such environment for example uh, the pork sewer or um, the pork environment or the pig you know field that bacteria bacteriophages you know isolated from there um, are more you know acting against the pathogen those are more prone to the pork products or more easily found in that environment, right? That's why they are there, okay. of course, to start with. So uh, they are very strain-specific or uh, even the uh, the pathogen-specific types. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah. So um, I know you mentioned earlier that, that some of these are already being used in the industry, but let's talk about kind of how you view it maybe five years from now. How would you view this technology being used in our in our packing facilities and meat processing facilities? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, so, uh, talking about the industry, um, we are still like uh, from the industry perspective. You know, uh, we are still thinking about it. You know, and uh, talking about the uh, the standard that we have to maintain in the industry, right? At uh, so. So many research uh, we have to do uh, in this case, and just to make sure this is actually what is working, and to get the you know log reduction, the industry requirement on to pass their lot, to pass their products to the market, they have to pass uh, the the uh, microbiological conditions too set forth by USDA, of course. So, uh, so many research has to do uh, on this regard. And it doesn't work alone, of course. So we have to have multi multitude of you know uh, treatment plan uh, planned ahead. For example, combining this with uh, organic acids, uh, those are also uh, you know uh, grass um, or recognized as safe to eat. Combining uh, hatchin research, combining these with uh, UV radiations or ozone or several other treatments. So if we have all of those combined and applied in the industry, I think. Uh, in the coming years, the industry will grow through this route because it's easy to culture, easy to prepare, um, and easy to apply uh, to the to the products. Mm-hmm. Where where in the the harvesting change chain would you anticipate the product being applied? So I would uh, suggest you know applying towards the end after the lethal step because. Um, this uh, this particle may uh, you know if you go through cookie step or you know thermal step after application then might not work or if you apply you know um, organic acids on top of it it may not work because of that low pH concentration so we have to be very careful on using uh, what step of the fruit products and down the line so after the lethal step I would say in general so we could apply that in the lethal step that way yeah actually work okay very good. So I think that answers a lot of my questions, um, but I do want to kind of go back to this whole bacteriophage, just general conversation and and go back to food safety or, or safety yeah. of this technology, because I think anytime we introduce technology and particularly if we're talking about a bacteriophage, um, people kind of wonder if this is really approved. And And so, as you mentioned earlier, it is approved. It is safe. Um, anything else we need to be aware of in terms of, of just this general um, use for the consumer education purpose? Um, not at all. But the you know uh, the good news is uh, not only for food. Uh, this is also being used for other medical purposes. You know, like treating 
chronic diseases. And, you know, uh, just um, train the bacteriophages in such a way that it goes and target to that cell, right? Killing cancer cells like that. So these are all emerging techniques out, outside of food, in food industry as well. So um, we are lucky to have in this field using this uh, technique uh, for the consumer safety. Um, you know, um, uh, from, uh, from here and now on. So um, combining these techniques with other uh, technology also makes a bigger, you know, uh, greater, you know, deal um, and making people safe, you know, before they consume one of these products. Wow. So it's always good news. <laughs> that's yeah. great news. And, and I think that's very important that we can relate that to the consumer, right? That it's already being used in the medical field to treat cancer yep. and do other things. And so we're already in a way, putting some of those into bodies and there's no negative issues. And in this case, we don't anticipate anything because we're consuming it. So um, very, very good. Well, as we kind of wrap up our, our little discussion here on bacteriophages and some of the great work that you've been doing, maybe if you could provide a couple of key takeaway points you would like our listeners to, to have from our conversation today, I think would be really good. Okay, yeah. So, um, key to raise or take home message from you know, I will always uh, talk uh, when I'm teaching to my class. I always tell them, okay, do you know like one in six individuals are getting sick every uh, sick every year due to food poisoning? So, if you all are you know washing hands, um, clean, separate, uh, cook and chill. Um, please apply all those techniques and or um, uh, to uh, make food safe and be aware of you know who is near to you, like elderly. Your grandfathers, grandmothers, or you know, new kids, or even like you know, pregnant women, or people with other um, chronic conditions are always highly susceptible to these kind of illnesses. So um, be aware of who are you with, and also make sure you are safe, and the uh, the people around you are also safe. Yeah, that's those are great key points. Food safety is number one, and we can't practice it enough, really. In the yeah. Very good. It's time for our famous three. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Genesis, the first power in genetics. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Well, Cedros, uh, one of the things I like to do uh, with our speakers is really ask you a couple of additional questions after I've just <laughs> spent mm-hmm. 25 minutes asking you a lot of questions. Uh, the first question we like to ask is, is there a, a resource book or a website that you think would be useful for our audience if they're interested in learning more about this topic? Uh, so there are some government websites, and we can go to FDA and uh, on um, GLV or uh, CDC is another website, and also USDA. There are several others, you know, but these are uh, one that we use and and rely uh, on them. And so please use those um, and get more information. Absolutely. How about something that maybe you're reading today, a book that you are reading or that you've recently read that's not related to this topic that, that you think the listeners might enjoy reading? 
Uh, so I, I enjoy traveling, right? Uh, who, who not, right? Everyone does. So I like uh, books that talks about um, the cities and, you know, uh, the ancient towns and things like that. So I was really one of my, from where I am, um, so, so one of people work uh, talking about uh, the origin of the town and uh, or, uh, how uh, they relate their, you know, uh, civilizations on, we connect their livelihood to the, to the cities later on. So, um, the book is by Buddhisagar, and I enjoy reading that book all this. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I like travel too. So I'm, I'm a history person. I love to read things of, of history and, and how things came to be. So that sounds actually very good. Um, the last question I, I'd like to ask you is if you can think of someone in your life that you define as successful and success can look however you want it to look, what's a key trait that they possess that you think has allowed them to be successful? So, uh, like, uh, when I was, uh, you know, doing my um, PhD with, uh, in, with, in Texas Tech with Dr. Minifishius at that time, so... Um, We've been, you know, uh, in thoughts uh, since then, right? Uh, I have seen her uh, develop her career from faculty on to USD undersecretary and moving back to uh, the position at uh, Texas Tech. So I have seen her always an idol in this field. I'm working from Seti as well. Uh, the, the key points here is, you know, uh, even though there are several circumstances like, you know, uh, that will prevent you from moving forward, but if you believe on your instinct, if you believe on what you're doing, it's good, actually. Right? If you trust yourself on what you're doing. So do not look back. Always move forward. And there might be several you know, obstacles that, that, that may appear, but you can't actually cross it okay. with your cool. behavior persistence. Yeah, that's yeah. very good. Yeah, that. Actually, very good. I just read a quote today of, of something like, the only way you can plow forward is to clear the road ahead or something of that nature. I think that's exactly right. That persistence and trusting yourself and, and continuing to move forward is very yes. valuable to have in a person. That is right. Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. And again, I thoroughly enjoy learning more about what you're doing and, and the good work around food safety. Again, for our listeners today, this is Dr. Cyrus Pokrell from Cal Poly University. Cyrus, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your time and inviting me on this platform.